you guys remember college orientation, like Bama Bound, back in the day? <laughs> the, the moans of like uncomfortable, uncomfortableness. Uh, I remember my Bama Bound. It was an interesting time. For some of y'all, that was like six months ago. Um, for me, it was like, we won't even do the math on that. So it was a long time. Uh, but I do remember that. And some of you guys may have enjoyed it. Like you liked meeting new people and the excitement of it. If you're like me and you're an introvert and you're socially awkward, you were terrified of just making a fool of yourself. And, um, but mine actually wasn't that bad. Uh, I had one funny experience in the dorm room where I had to stay in a random dude with a guy I didn't, had never met until, well, usually hadn't met him, but it's, it's a long story. But uh, he actually started working for the Tuscaloosa News, and I think he still works there now. So I have a BFF at Tuscaloosa News that I don't really know. But, um, but for the most part, mine was good. But like, you remember like the point of orientation is kind of like introduce you to college life, and I don't know how accurate it is, but it, the, the idea is to kind of get you thinking through what it looks like to be a college student, you know, some things to put in your life to kind of get going and all the technical info of how do you register for class and that kind of thing. Uh, well, we're going to do a little bit of reorientation tonight because I think it's helpful, like I said, for us to think through 2017 in the spring and what, what should matter in 2017 and what should be some of our priorities and just kind of what we should um, prepare ourselves for. And so during my time in China over the, um, the break, I had a lot of fun experiences and uh, the big picture of what we did is we spent about um, two weeks in China. We went to, um, we worked with some missionaries that uh, work with unreached people groups, and they mainly focus on the Hmong people, which are in South China. And, um, but what they do is they, they go to these marketplaces, and they, because uh, the Hmong people, or a lot of these minority people groups, live in the mountains, so they don't come to the city. So what the missionaries do is they go to the marketplaces, and they um, will kind of prayer walk the marketplace, and then they'll begin to kind of just talk to people and to kind of make conversation and find ways to share the gospel, hoping that they can you know, make some disciples in the marketplace, that then these people will go to their villages and continue to spread the gospel and that kind of thing. But what we got to do is we got to do about a week of that while we were there and went to a few different places and did that kind of thing. Um, it was an awesome experience. But one of my favorite parts of the trip besides that was uh, the students we got to work with. We had a great team, and I would love to have um, some of y'all, and maybe one year we can do that and we have some of y'all go with me. Um, but uh, we had some great students that went, and I love like, watching God work in and through students' lives on those kind of trips. And uh, what we're driving one day um, to one of the market towns, and one of the students says, hey, I really just feel like I, I should read some scripture kind of over our car ride as we're going to get ready to prayer walk and share the gospel to kind of prepare us. And uh, one of the verses or scriptures they read was Psalm 96. And uh, I've heard it a lot before, and it's, it's a great psalm, great missionary psalm. Uh, but it kind of stuck with me. And as I came back and began to think through this idea of like reorientation and what that looks like, I couldn't get this psalm kind of off my mind. And uh, I went back and read it a few days ago and realized, man, this is a great way for us to kind of think through this semester. So what we're going to do, like I said, is walk through this a little bit. And uh, I think there's four priorities that we see in this psalm tonight that I think are going to be really helpful for us. And um, the four that you have them on your sheet, I didn't give you any notes for an outline that we're going to use that sheet in a minute, so just hold on to that. But you see the four that I think are really important. They're really simple. I'm not breaking the bank. I'm not breaking the mold here. Um, not breaking the bank either. But there are four simple things. Is this. It's mission, sorry, worship, holiness, mission, and eternity. It sounds super vague, and I'll unpack it more, I promise. But those are, I think, some really clear things we see in this passage. I think are really helpful for us, for you to think through. As you start your semester, spring 2017, what matters? What should matter in spring 2017 for you? These four things matter. Okay, so let's do this. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to read some of the psalm, unpack it a little bit. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, feel free to talk back to me. And um, 
then we'll wrap up in a few, and I'll give you some time to reflect, okay? So let's pray real quick. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for your, your word, and I thank you for these students and bringing them back safely. And uh, I thank you for just what you have in store for us this semester. And I pray just, uh, just blessings and ask for your blessings over uh, this semester, Lord, in these students' lives as they uh, start class again, as they are back in uh, apartments and dorms and houses, as they're back on campus or they're back at jobs. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we kind of get rolling, uh, that there would not just be kind of a, a lull of, well, here we go back to the grind kind of thing, Father, but there would really be an excitement that these students would um, view this new semester as a new opportunity, Lord, and really that you would open their eyes to the opportunities that you place around them specifically in this semester and uh, really just how you're already at work and how we can join you in that, Father. We ask that you would speak to us through your word and through this psalm and just help us to even catch just a little bit more of a glimpse of just how amazing you are, Lord, of your glory and how it changes everything for us. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, let's look at Psalm 96. So let's look at the first six verses. I broke it up into six, sorry, four sections it's kind of a like artificial breakup, so don't like quote this as like a great outline of this psalm. Uh, it's I'm kind of forcing it a little bit, but it'll work, I promise. Okay, so not the best exegetical preacher format tonight, but it's going to work. Okay, we're going to make it work. So look at the first six lines. All right, all right. It says this. I'm in the ESV. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So stop right there. So one of the things I love about the Psalms is that they're great, like... um, to use the word again, like reorienting kind of things. Like they, they're super helpful in like when you're just having a, a tough time spiritually in terms of focus, like in terms of just reflecting on who God is, man, the Psalms are like medicine, you know, to your heart, to your soul, to get you focused back on who God is and the truths of just, you know, life. I mean, they're just really good medicine for your heart. And I love this Psalm for that reason. But one thing that we see really clearly in this psalm, the background of it, is this is a psalm that David gave Asaph and his brothers to sing as they brought the ark back into Jerusalem after, um, I want to say it was the uh, Philistines had it, and they had like boils break out and stuff, and they eventually got it back, and they brought it triumphantly into the city. This is a psalm that David composed to be sung during that time. So it's like, it's like a pump-up kind of celebratory kind of psalm. And we see that really clearly, like in here, that, oh, sing the Lord, new song, tell of his salvation from day to day. It's really just a celebratory psalm. And so it's focusing on praise. And so it's focusing on worship. And so one thing I want us to kind of look at first as we talk about priorities for this year is worship. Because it's really easy sometimes to get caught up in like New Year's resolutions and, and all the, one, the things you want to do. If you're like me, you're like a checklist person. You like your list. You want to like, you know, I'm doing this this year. I'm doing this this year. And we can do that spiritually, and those are good to set goals. But we got to realize that like, our walk with Christ always starts with worship. And it's always motivated by abiding in Christ and our love for him. So if you start the year saying, man, I want to share the gospel with 50 people. I want to see 15 people come to Christ. I, mean, I want to do like 17 mission trips and you know, like, read the Bible three times through in a year, you know, whatever. Good for you. you know, um, but if we start with all these tasks without remembering why we do that, then we're kind of just missing the point. We're just doing a bunch of stuff just to do it because we feel like that's the things we do as a Christian. But we have to realize that all those things, spiritual disciplines, all that kind of stuff, always starts with worship. It starts with our heart. 
Okay, so that, I, that's why I put worship here first. Um, but, but tell me this, like when you think of worship, what do you think of? Just be honest with me. You don't have to give me some deep theological thought if you don't have it. If you do, awesome. But uh, what do you think of when you think of worship? What comes to your mind? <laughs> Nothing. Music, yeah. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people think music, songs, which is totally okay. All right? Because that's what we call it in church most of the time, right? Time of worship, worship night, worship songs. We have a genre of music called praise and worship. Yeah. What else? Prayer. Prayer. Okay. Anything else? Yeah, meditating on scriptures. Yeah. Maybe one more person. Say it again, sorry. Yeah, like meditating on who God is, right? His attributes. Yeah. Those are all great, all great methods of worship, right? But the thing that we sometimes forget is, like, we'll take those things, like the manifestations of worship, right? And we'll define that as worship. It's like singing, for example. We'll say, okay, singing is worship. Prayer, prayer is worship. Those are all great, you know, methods of it. But I sometimes think we forget, like, the deep-rooted meaning of it and what it really is. And I, I love, I heard this a long time ago, but it's an easy definition is worship is like worth ship. It's like you find something that's worthy that you think is, man, this is worth my all. This is worth giving my life to. And that's what I'm going to worship because I give it ultimate worth in my life. So worship we can think of as worship. And so to worship something is really to give it like that ultimate place. And it's to look at something and say like, this is worth giving my time, my money, my emotions. This is worth worrying over. This is worth kind of centering my life around, you know? Um, and that's really a lot more than just singing because really the truth is this, is that we worship what we treasure more than just what we sing to, right? We worship what we treasure and we treasure what we worship. So as we start 2017, I want you to think about, like, honestly, what do you worship? I'm not saying that you're worshiping false gods and that kind of thing, but like, what are the things that you treasure? Like, what things maybe for your are competing with your worship to God? Because I love the way that, that a guy named Warren Wearsby defined worship. He said this. He said, worship is the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, and body, to what God is and says and does. So like worship is a lot more than just one specific thing. It's a response of all that we are. But we're only going to worship something if we think it's like ultimately valuable, right? And a lot of times what we deem valuable is the things that we put in front of our face every day. If you remember back in the beginning of the fall, we had that kind of like, short statement of um, you become what you behold. We talked about how what you put in front of your face every day is going to be what you value and you treasure. Same principle happens in in the spring. What we put in front of us, that's an ice machine making crazy noise. Um, What we put in front of our face every day is going to be the thing that we treasure the most. But one interesting interesting thing I saw when I was in China was this. Like you've always heard like stories of like idol worship and that kind of thing. Uh, But one day we actually got to take a trip and uh, there's two mountain ranges that line the city that we were in. And one side has a big temple, a big a tower that like gets lit up at night. Uh, one side has a temple on it. And on uh, the day, on Christmas Day, we hiked to the tower. On uh, the day after Christmas, we hiked up to the temple. And uh, we got to walk in this thing. And um, it was the craziest thing. Like, uh, because in their, part of their religion they practice there, it's very animistic. They believe in like spiritual beings that will come and haunt you. Like your ancestors, like after they die, can haunt you if you don't like do things to take care of them. If you don't burn incense to like honor them. If you don't burn this money that supposedly when you burn it, it goes to the spirit world and like provides for their needs. 
And so it's really interesting. Um, but while we were there in this temple, we're walking around, we're praying um, silently in the temple. You can just feel like this dark presence in there. It's really strange. But uh, there are guys there who were literally burning this money, and they were literally burning incense in front of this little statue thing. And they all look super creepy. I'll show you a picture sometime. They don't look like anything you want to worship. But I'd never seen someone like legitimately like worshiping an idol before. And I saw it, and like as a Westerner, I'm like, this is so weird. You know, like we, we would never do that. You know, we're way too refined for that. You know, we're Americans. But you think about it, like, we may not have those fancy idols that we, we may not believe in spirit beings that are going to haunt you because you don't give them fake money in the afterlife. That seems strange to us. But we all have idols that we are tempted to worship, right? Tem- we're tempted to burn, not maybe incense, but burn our time, like burn our resources, you know, burn our emotions in front of. But it's different for us in America. So like, especially on a college campus, like, what do you think are some, some idols that we're tempted to worship especially in the college-age world. What are some of those idols that you can think of? College football. <laughs> National Day of Mourning uh, yesterday because of the game. Yeah. What else? Relationships. Friend- yeah, so yeah. Relationships, friendships. So you could do dating, friendships combined. All those together. Yeah, what else? Grades, Your GPA. One or two more. What are one or two more? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just kind of keeping up appearances and how you're known. Yeah, absolutely. Your identity almost mm. because your early twenties are supposed to be the age you define yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, college can be, I think it was uh, Elizabeth Elliot that said that college for most students is a time of unmitigated selfishness. Like, it's like a quote from one of her books. Um, I'll let you decide if that's true in your life. But, um, so here's the thing. Like, we see in that, in that verse, or in that first section of this psalm, I love that phrase. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And I love that because we, we think about, you look at an idol like these guys were worshiping in the temple, it's obvious that thing can't do anything for you. Right, but yet we take other things like in America, like things like success or, or certain relationships. We take you know our appearance and keeping up that appearance. You know what people think of us. We take whatever a GPA. And we think, well, this really can do something for me. This is going to get me places in life. This will bring me satisfaction, happiness. You know whatever. But yet at the same time, we, we got to realize that while the relationships are good, while like money is not inherently bad, like while like desiring like a relationship, like marriage, that's a good thing. When we take those things and make them ultimate, they become really worthless idols, because they can't bring us what we think they're going to deliver. Um, but here's the thing. It's easy to say that, but think about this. What are some ways that you can identify in your life that something is an idol? Because it's easy to say, you know, we can idolize, you know, relationships. But it's sometimes harder to, like, pinpoint, like, examples and illustrations of, yeah, you're making that an idol in your life. So it's kind of off the top of your head. Can you think of any, any signs that something is an idol in your life. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, how much time it, you occupy it in your in your mind in your heart? Yeah, absolutely.
yeah. yeah. And if we're honest, a lot of times that's a, that's a battle, right? Because we're like, I know I should read my Bible, but sleep is good. You know, like, or, you know, or so, you know and so like, it's, it's a battle because we, we, it's like that inner turmoil that Paul talks about, you know, I, I know what I should do, but yet I don't do it kind of thing. And so that's something we should recognize, though, because it really is a battle for, um, there's a book, Kyle Adelman wrote a book called Gods at War. And there really are little, little G-gods, you know, at war in our hearts sometimes. Yeah. Maybe one more example. Yeah. Even more than it being a conscious decision, like once or twice every semester, I try to just take a few days and write down everything, I, like keep track of everything I do and yeah. write down how much time I'm spending on those things even without realizing it. Yeah. That's a great practice. I think we did that with leadership team one time. We, yeah, we, we, I, that, that was a scary thing. I, yeah, usually leadership, if you're on leadership team, I shouldn't say this because no one's going to want to join now. Um, yeah, I, I usually get them to map out and write what they do every like hour for the whole, um, for a whole week. Yeah, no, it was two weeks. Yeah, well, yeah, it was two weeks. But, um, we could do a week though, but like a whole week. It seems like a lot, but it's easier than you think. But you would be amazed how you spend your time sometimes. It's kind of embarrassing because I've done it too. My class in seminary made me do it. And you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> I'm so ashamed. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, amazing how, <laughs> it's amazing how that works, though. Like, we're so easily, like, enticed in certain ways. And uh, those are all great examples. And to kind of go along with that, there are three things I think you can say. I got this from a pastor in Oklahoma named Brent Prentice. But he, he gives you three ways to think about what you worship. It's FAD, F-A-D. If you want to write it down, you can. But it's what you fear, what makes you angry, and what you hold dear. What you fear, what, you, what makes you angry, and what you hold dear, okay? And then we're going to pick up the pace, I promise, all right? But um, think about what, what makes you afraid. Like, what's that thing or those things that if you lost those things, you feel like your life would be over? Like, you're just so afraid, like, that you, it would just devastate you if you lost that. It could be different for everybody. But the things that you're the most afraid to lose, could, it could be a sign that it's an idol in your life, okay? What about anger? So like, what about, what easily offends you? Like, what makes you angry? You know, if it's like your reputation, then you're going to be really angry when someone takes a stab at you, especially in public, right? You're going to live in a lot of fear of man and fear of reputation. Um, but what about dear? Like, what do you spend, like, uh, Caitlin talked about, that, how much you spend your uh, time thinking about? Or even, like, how much you spend, how much money you spend on something? How much time? You know, whatever. But what do you hold the most dear? That's also a great way to think about idols. And so to kind of move on from that, the reason I spent so much time in that is I want you to think about this year as we start 2017, ask that question, what do you worship? And what worship shifts maybe need to happen in your life this semester? You know, maybe um, it's a time thing for you with a schedule, but maybe it's just simply a, a priority thing, you know? But think for real about those three things. What do you fear? What makes you angry? What, what do you hold dear? Maybe ask some hard questions during our reflection time we'll have in a minute. And ask God, God, there's, there's need to be a worship shift in my life because what we worship is going to manifest itself in so many ways in our life. And we'll talk about that more in a second, but that's your first question. Second one is this. We're talking about holiness. Look at verses 7 through 9 of Psalm 96. It says this, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. So that word there, ascribe, we don't use that word a lot in English. So what do you think David means when he says, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength? 
Uh-huh. Yeah, gift. Yeah, given to the Lord. That's pretty much what it means, yeah. I did a little research to just make sure um, that I was thinking about it right, but my little uh, dictionary I had um, for the original language said that ascribe means to praise and to speak words of excellence or greatness of a person. So it's like, you know, it's to speak greatly of them. But really, I think it's even more than just simply to speak greatly, because to ascribe means that not only do you speak greatness about a person, but you recognize it, and it, there's something different. Like, you respond differently to that person because of it. Because if you look down um, at verse 9, it talks about, like, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Because there's a, you may have a footnote in there, but it talks about how that could also be translated, like, in holy attire. Right? I love that holy attire idea. A lot of our senior adults would probably say we need to wear more holy attire on Sunday mornings, you know. Um, you know, just kidding, just kidding. But, like, but dress in holy attire. But I think I love that description because of this. As we worship God rightly, like we talked about, and we realize who he is and how much awe and worship and glory he deserves, it leads us to, we need to respond differently. It leads us to realize um, that we have to view ourselves differently than maybe we naturally want to. Because if you think about the way that like uh, Isaiah or John, when they had the revelation of God. Like when John has his revelation of God in the book of Revelation, he falls down as if he was dead. Like he just falls out dead. Like it's just that overwhelming. Isaiah, in, the, in Isaiah chapter 6, when he sees God um, in the heavens and his, um, his uh, robe is filling the temple, he just cries out, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. You know? And so when we have a right view of God and a right revelation of God, it changes us. And it helps us realize that something is not right in us and we have a more accurate view of ourselves. And so the reason I put holiness on there is because the right response to understanding who God is and who he's made us in Christ is to want to live a life of holiness. And so what that means for us is as we begin to have a right view of worship of God, it means that we also have to look at our own lives and see what sin we may need to repent of. So that so maybe for you there's some certain sins that God is convicting you of that you need to surrender to him this year. Maybe a sin like anxiety, a sin like there's an addiction in your life. Maybe you're struggling with a fear of man over God and looking um, for uh, your reputation to be the most important thing in your life. Maybe you struggle with rejecting authority. Maybe you struggle with lust and pornography. Maybe it's a pride issue. Maybe it's laziness. Maybe you're a workaholic in school. You know, take your pick. But during our time of reflection, I want you to pray and spend some time thinking through what sins are God maybe convicting me of? I need to kind of set before him and get right before him as I begin 2017. Because we saw back in the book of Daniel last semester that God uses, um, God wants us to have, um, live lives of integrity in order to prepare us for what he has in store in the future. It's like with Daniel, when he wouldn't eat the, uh, the meat that had been sacrificed to idols, he wouldn't eat the stuff Nebuchadnezzar offered him. God used his integrity as a way to prepare him for future trials. You don't know what God has in store for you this semester, whether it's a trial or something else. But God wants us to live lives of integrity where we surrender whatever corners of our lives that we don't want to you know, normally shine light on in order to use us later on. And so think about those things that you may need to repent of. But remember, as we talk about repentance and holiness, that all that also always has to be rooted in the gospel. Because remember, the gospel says that you're more loved, sorry, you're more sinful than you ever dared dream, but also you're more loved than you ever thought possible. Okay? So the way repentance works in Christ is that we know that when we first take that step of following Christ and we surrender our lives to him, he makes us completely holy, completely clean. We heard a great sermon about that over the past couple of times we've gone through Romans about justification. Um, so when we first make that step of following Christ, we're completely made right and holy. 
But then it's a process. Some of you BCM people know Nate loves to talk about the Christian life is a step followed by a process. That process is a process of repentance and continually giving our lives over to Christ or surrendering corners of our life to Christ that haven't been given over yet. But the way that works is that you always have to be rooted in what Christ has done for you. So like, for example, if God convicts you of, um, of worry and anxiety, the, the, the right method of that is not to simply say, okay, I'm being really anxious, I'm worrying a lot, I'm just getting worked up about stuff. I'll just try harder. I'll just do better. I'll just be a better person and I'll be okay. That's, that's not a helpful way to repent. The real helpful way is this, is that you recognize that as a Christian, Jesus never worried, <laughs> at least in a way that was sinful. Like he never was anxious about things. He never mistrusted God in that kind of way. And so he was completely obedient for you so that he has now given you the perfect standing with God because of his perfect obedience. Therefore, you now have the power through the Holy Spirit to change. It's only because of what Christ has done for you, his perfect obedience in your place, that allows you to change. So for me, when God convinced me of a sin in my life, although my natural instinct is to want to just try harder, I had to first be like, God, I own that sin. You're right. You're speaking truth about me. That's really me. That's really my heart. But I know that Jesus was the perfect and, the, and was perfectly obedient in my place in that sin. I trust in that, and now I, I want to ask you for the power to change me. Because it's got to be rooted in the gospel, because otherwise it's just this hamster wheel, trying harder and trying harder. And so as you think about different sins God's calling you to repent of, think about that and have it rooted in the gospel. All right, third thing, mission. Look at verse 10. I told you this is a weird, not great exegetical outline, but look at just verse 10, all right? Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. So we see right there, like it says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Like, why do you think he's, David is telling us to say among the nations, the Lord reigns? Like, why, why is that the thing he tells us to tell the nations? No idea? Because it's true, yeah, okay. But why that truth versus anything else? It's a tough question. <laughs> Awkward silence. Okay, I'll break the silence for you. I would say this is because, well, number one, the simple answer is that proclaim um, to the nation that the Lord reigns because it changes everything. But think about this. Like the past couple of days, what have happened around even just our city? We had a bank robbery slash hostage situation, whatever that was, happened Tuesday. A couple of days before that, we had the uh, Fort Lauderdale airport situation. We had some shootings there. Then who knows what else happened um, while I was in China. I didn't have access to news. You know, all over the world in terms of just tragedies happening recently. If you looked at all that kind of stuff, it'd be really easy to say, you know what, like, is there really any God reigning right now? We look at the brokenness of the world, and we say, man, like, what is going on? But the reason that the psalmist tells us to proclaim that the Lord reigns is because it's true, and it tells us that while things may not be perfect now, and we may be experiencing brokenness now in this life, there is going to be a day where God is going to make everything right through Christ. He already started the process back when he came in his first coming, and then in his second coming, he will make everything right. So as we go to the, the nations, as we proclaim that, we're telling them, listen, you know, you're broken in your sin and this world is broken, but there is a God who reigns and can make everything right. 
And so the third thing I want you to think about is this. It's kind of a natural progression that we've kind of been making here. It's mission. It's like, who in your life this semester do you need to go and proclaim the good news to? The good news of Christ. The good news that there is a God who loves you, who wants to have a relationship with you, but you're broken in your sin and separated from him. But because of Christ, you can be restored and brought back to a relationship with him. And we all have people in our lives, I think, that we know need the gospel. If you don't, I give you some great ideas of how to make some of those. Um, But even some of you guys have interactions with people who come from countries that you can't just go be a missionary there. Like you may know some students from places like Saudi Arabia and that kind of thing. And we have great opportunities here to literally proclaim to the nations, like it says in that verse, that the Lord reigns, that Jesus does reign, and that he has died for them. So the third thing I want you to think about during this reflection time is who, who is your person this semester? Uh, who's your unreached person, unreached people group on campus uh, this semester you need to reach out to? All right, let's look at the last verses and we'll begin to wrap up. Um, look at verse 11. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. I love that last part. It's just, man. But here's the thing. So as we begin to wrap this up, there's an author named Paul Tripp. He's a counselor, author kind of guy. He lives up in Philadelphia. But he wrote a book, and in that book he talks about a lot of times we're tempted to live what he calls a two-drawer life. A two-drawer life where we have one drawer called real life, where we keep all of our stuff like friendships and dating life and school, jobs and that kind of thing. And then in the other drawer, we have what we call our spiritual life. And that's where we keep all of our you know, ideas about Bible study, church, conferences, mission trips, quiet times, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of us, we don't let those two drawers really intermingle very much. You come to church, you start pulling from the spiritual drawer. You go everywhere else, you're pulling from the real life drawer. And we just don't have this overlap very much of the spiritual versus you could call the secular, right? But what I love about this psalm is that Psalm 96 gives us no room for that. Like Psalm 96 gives us no room for the two drawers. Because if you look at that, like look back at those verses. Like he talks about the heavens being glad, the whole earth, whole earth rejoicing, the trees singing. I don't get how trees sing, but they do in this psalm. It's a poem. Uh, the trees sing, like God's coming to judge the earth. Like the truth is that there's not a single corner of this world that the spiritual doesn't affect. And so when we view our lives at, like two drawers, here's what happens. You know, there's like carnival mirrors. Like you can go like to the fair like you stand before the carnival mirror and like it makes your head like three feet tall and your feet are like six inches and like you look all funny and that kind of thing. Have you seen those before? Yeah, okay. So that, that's what happens when we have a two-drawer life is that what happens is we begin to view things that really aren't that important in life in an eternal perspective as huge. Like your nose is not that big, but in that mirror, your nose can be like massive, right? Compared to your feet, which are probably more important one they're very helpful in life. Um, but they're really small, right? So we begin to view things that aren't that big of a deal as huge. But yet the things that do matter, like very eternal things, if we're viewing in that two-drawer way, they begin to look small and insignificant. And like, I can do that later. I'll put that off till I'm older kind of thing. But the thing is, is that Psalm 96 doesn't allow us to use that lens. But if we keep looking at life through that lens of two-drawer living, it leads us to things like, you know, lack of growth in our spiritual life, at least to things like being so stressed. We get angry, we get bitter, critical, anxious. We live in constant fear of what other people think of us. I say all that because I'm terrible <laughs> with struggling with this as well. It's, it's a struggle for me. Um, but what I want us to maybe think about this semester as we begin 2017 is 
removing that lens and removing that, that barrier even between the sacred and the secular and, view, and realizing that God is at work everywhere around us, that there is no secular spiritual divide, but that really, in a sense, everything is spiritual and that God wants to open your eyes even wider to maybe some corners of your life that you haven't quite given up to him yet, some areas of your life that you said, okay, God, like I'll eventually kind of, you know, see what you want me to do in that area later. Well, maybe this is the year, the, the time for you to un- kind of unpack that box and open up that door to him. So be thinking about that because whatever we live in awe of, whatever we are putting in front of our face every day, the thing that we worship, that's going to influence our lives and help us see rightly or see wrongly about what really matters this semester. All right? And think about this as we close. Look at that last verse talking about he will judge the world in righteousness. Remember this, is that one day, myself and everyone here has had to stand before God and give an account of their life. And so what account will you give at the end of this semester at least for how you spent the spring of 2017? I hope, for myself included, that we can say that we used it well uh, for God's glory.